You're gonna need a bigger boat. No. I am your father. I'm gonna make him an offer again. Life was like a box of chocolates. Wax on, wax off. I see dead people. Here's Johnny. He's a liar. You can't handle the truth. Good morning, Vietnam. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Get away from her, you bitch. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're going to see some serious shit. Cinematic Leap. Hi, and welcome to Cinematic Leap, a movie podcast where we apply a six degrees of Kevin Bacon style process to select our next movie. Each week, we will watch a movie, provide our review, then take a cinematic leap by selecting an actor, director, crew member within this pod's movie to choose our next movie. Rules are simple. Whoever chooses this pod's movie sits out selection. One of our remaining hosts then chooses an actor or crew member to take our cinematic leap with, leaving our final host to then choose the next movie. You can't choose an actor, crew member that has been chosen within the last six choices. As always, I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts, Michael Thompson. Great, Scott. Thanks. And Glenn Greening. <laughs> Good, Scott. Thank How are you? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. Good, Good. Bit of Good drag stuff. there. Uh, how, gentlemen? How are we? I, look, I'm going. I'm going into this with a lot of excitement, but a little bit of sadness. It's it's sad that we're we're back to going on Zoom because uh, oh, yeah. I did yep. enjoy our last five podcasts that we got to record together. Um, but a lot of excitement because, I th- yeah. What about questions that we usually ask as as we sort of step through the structure of our pod? Is you know quick discussions of the movie. What were our original thoughts? Like, what were our thoughts heading into this movie? <laughs> I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I'm pretty confident that we're all pretty happy that this movie got chosen. Would I be wrong? Uh, you are you are not wrong. I'm pretty sure I expressed my thoughts at the end of the last podcast. I think I've done really well with um, picking my uh, leapers and and hoping where they go. And I've, I've picked a couple where they've gone exactly where I wanted, which is exactly what happened this time. So yes. Very happy. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> and I, I might be wrong, but I reckon this would have been a movie when we started this pod, when we were having our thoughts about it and, and discussing it. I don't think we any of us all said it, but I reckon this is one movie that we all would have been looking forward to doing. Like, I, I don't know. I just think this is a movie I think we've all probably loved since childhood and would be happy to discuss. Well, I think it's interesting you say that because, like, sometimes when you bring too much critical analysis to things you love, then you kind of then you don't, you know, you run the risk of not really enjoying it anymore. Um, so Ghostbusters. Well, I mean, for you maybe I still love Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters is still an amazing film. Um, you know, Back to the Future though is no less amazing. So, and I mean, I get I, I was we actually you know. To us, I, I took this film into a year 12 class a number of years ago as like, you know, here's one of the films to watch as a, a narrative. And, you know, it's great. It, was, it holds up to a lot of kind of analysis and, you know, investigation and, yeah, and enjoyment. The only it's downside, a I think, of uh, this I, film is that I think we're going to rate it pretty highly and I don't think there's going to be a film to beat it um, if this beats The Martian. Um, I don't think there's going to be another film come up anytime soon that is going to top this one for all of us. Mm, yeah, you're not probably not wrong. Yeah, I probably would agree. 
I would think that we might have a new winner as of tonight. But look, who knows? Let's not let's not jump ahead too far. Yeah, Scott might Scott might actually put another like you know stake in the heart <laughs> of childhood mm-hmm. films. <laughs> Uh, so without further ado, uh, obviously this pod, we are doing the original Back to the Future, a 1985 science fiction film directed by Robert Zemeckis. It stars Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, co-stars Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover and Thomas F. Wilson. It had a budget of $19 million, made $338 million, uh, which is quite incredible. Um <clears throat> Excuse me. Had an IMDb rating of eight point five, Metacritic eighty seven percent, and Rotten Tomatoes of nine point four. Uh, was nominated for four awards at the nineteen eighty six Academy Awards for Best Sound Effects Editing, Editing, sorry, uh, which it won, as well as Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound, and Best Original Song, The Power of Love by Huey Lewis. So obviously, you know, it's had positive reviews, uh, really, forever and a day. A couple of things that I noticed when I was doing some research was this. This was the number one film at the box office for 11 of its first 12 weeks of release. So it was basically out for three months and all but one week of that, it was the number one film at the bo- at the box office. I think it was the best um, performer of 1985, isn't it? Comfortably, yeah. Yeah. It only dropped to second for one week during that time. It was in the top 10 highest grossing films for 24 weeks, which is just quite staggering, which wouldn't happen these days, I don't think, because most Well, things- it's it's interesting you say that, Scott, because I'm pretty sure that adjusted for inflation, this film still is in like the top 100 films, like gross. Like I think I saw some stats that said like, you know, you know, adjusting for inflation, it would have made 440 something million or something epic. Um, yeah. And but it and it took a long time to get there, so yeah. But it's just yeah, just incredible when you think about the how long it was number one for out of three months. But just for, for in those three months, only one of those weeks was it not number one, and it was number two, which is quite incredible. Um, Glenn, you chose the Leaper, Alan Silvestri. <laughs> Why? Uh, <clears throat> I think I already. Explain why, because I, as soon as I saw his name for for this movie, I wasn't sure on who to pick the A team, and I saw his name, and I thought straight away I knew what I was going to pick because um, he's um, a good, a great composer, and obviously Back to the Future is one of the great classic movies, and even just listening to like the credits or parts of the A team, just you could tell it was him, like. It just made me think of Back to the Future. As soon as I saw the name and I realised, I could just tell. And, um, yeah, so I threw that name at you and hoped you went the right, did the right thing, uh, which you did. <laughs> well done, Scott. Oh, yeah, thanks, Glenn. Uh, glad, oh. I was able, uh, glad I was able to do that for you. Uh, obviously, for me, I chose the movie... How could you not, when you have an opportunity to do this fairly early on, in the pod, I think, as I said, I think we're all pretty excited to do this movie. I think we all enjoy this movie, so why not get it done? I think the biggest discussion's probably been, do we just do all three now and <laughs> not worry about it? Go on, but um, I think we stick think to we, the format. Well, we, we do, and like you know, there is there are choices to be made, 
Um, if those choices take us on that trilogy journey, we will follow it. Otherwise, you know, it's, you know, it's all that sort of cinematic leap, isn't it? Like, you know, <laughs> one after the other. Well, I mean, not right. the movies, but just each choice. <laughs> so, Michael, without further ado, play the trailer. nightmare dream that I went back in time well safe and sound now back in good old 1955 1955 oh, doc are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean the way I see it if you're gonna build a time machine into a car why not do it with some style hey McFly this is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. You're my mom. You're my mom. <gasps> Wait, what do you want, chicken watch? Marty, we're sending you back to the future. Beautiful. Now, obviously, I've got the synopsis here. Um, so the movie kicks off 1985. The movie opens. Uh, we're in a crazy house. There's heaps of clocks. There's strange gadgets. There's a TV uh, with a news report of plutonium that's been stolen and some Libyan terrorists have taken responsibility for the theft. Uh, there's a lot of mess. Uh, we see a box of plutonium hidden under a table. Um, we see the legs of who was, we'll find out, is Marty McFly, who's played by Michael J. Fox, uh, walk in with his skateboard. He can't find his eccentric scientific friend, sorry, scientist friend, uh, Doc Emmett Doc Brown, who's played by Christopher Lloyd. Um, he stands in front of a huge speaker, plugs in his guitar, and after turning everything, all, all the amps and everything as high as they can possibly go, decides to strum it. Spe- speaker explodes and he gets sent back what, probably about three metres into, and already we get some laughs and chaos in shoes. Michael. Dude. Um, thanks, Scott. The, this, for me, is one of the great openings of cinema. Um, for four and a half minutes, we don't actually see a face. We don't see a face clearly. But we've got, in various moments through the clock pan, uh, we get hints of what's going to happen in the film. Uh, as the title comes in, clock's ticking of the movement um, of the camera over the, of the clock, so we didn't see that going through. We see a drunk leaning in the clock, so reference to either Red the drunk or even uh, Lorraine. Um, then we see the we get to the man hanging on the clock, making reference to the 1923 film Safety Last, but also as well as Doc Brown and his climax arc at the end. Then we get information about Doc Brown and his family fortune and we, his inventions, and of course it's all been left absent, so what's going on? And then, you know, the, that TV shot with the, like, you know, the plutonium has been stolen. It's like, well, you know, and, like, it just sets up this level of intrigue. We see Marty entering. We see that there's the plutonium in the room. We get to see, like, you know, Marty's a character, and that's when we see the face, like, his face. Four and a half minutes, and it's just, it's setting up the whole film. It's like a, it's genius. I don't know about really. you guys, but um, for me, when this film starts, just that font, just that font at the start, just... Straight away, I'm like, oh, this movie. You know, it just immediately just brings back the memories. And 
I was thinking it as I watched this, and it was just like as, as simple as a font, just give me that feeling. And I was like, it's pretty special that a movie can do that, really. But yeah, this that opening sequence does set up a lot of what's to come. Like it establishes that you know Marty plays guitar, which is important later. It establishes yeah the plutonium. So many things that are going to happen later on. Um, yeah, it's a good, great opening. It's interesting when you say the font. Which font are you talking about? Are you talking about the the kind of yes, Art yep. Deco font that is the um, yep. Steven Spielberg? Yeah, that's because I thought like you know is he talking about the title card? No, I think it's, it's actually that you know that sort of Robert Zemeckis, Steven Spielberg, yeah. Michael J. Fox, that sort of um, that sort of Art Deco type font. Yeah, no, I agree. Do you know this was the first time that I actually noticed the picture. Explain that where it explains that Doc is ridiculously rich, mm. that his mansion blew blew up and he sold that massive uh, acreage that they obviously had for housing development. I had noticed it before now, mm. and I guess that's the the thing about all viewings of films and like you know sometimes films deserve a second chance um, or even like a fiftieth watch, like I've probably seen for Back to the Future. In that you you're often picking up new things like. Um, you know that this discussion about like the opening—that's that's taken a few times. You watch it and you go, "Oh, this is an opening." But like when you kind of really look at it, you mm. see there's it's information dense, and that's what's good about it. But it's still easy to take in. True. So does that mean, Michael, that you're gonna you should probably watch an adaptation a few more times just to see if there's other mm-hmm. things that you've missed? Anyway, <laughs> we'll continue on. Um, <laughs> so. So Marty soon realises that he's late for school. Uh, Doc Brown has uh, set all his clocks to 8.25, even though they're showing 8 o'clock. Um, he realises that he's late for school and he's got to get there. Uh, so we get a great scene where he's skateboarding to school and hitching rides on the back of cars to get there. Uh, he gets caught being late by the principal. He tells him he shouldn't hang out with Doc Brown and also says that his family are losers and slackers and he'll amount to nothing like they have. We get the pertinent words from Marty. Well, history is about to change. <laughs> uh, Marty McFly lives in Hill Valley, California with his depressed alcoholic mother, Lorraine, who's played by Leah Thompson, his two older siblings, who are both professional and social failures, and his meek loser father, George, played by Chris McGlover, uh, who is regularly bullied by his supervisor, Biff Tannen, who's played by Thomas, Thomas F. Wilson. Uh, Biff has crashed... Uh, George's car, yet he's blaming George for the accident and making George use his insurance for it. Um, He's also demanding the work reports that George is writing for him. After Marty's band, he's rejected from uh, a music audition to play at the school dance. He confides in his girlfriend, Jennifer Parker, uh, that he fears becoming like his parents despite his ambitions. That night, Marty meets Doc in the Twin Pines Mall parking lot. Uh, Doc unveils a time machine built from a modified DeLorean, powered by plutonium. He swindled, swindled from Libyan terrorists. After Doc inputs a destination time of November 5, 1955, the day he first conceived his time travel invention, the flux capacitor, uh, the terrorists arrive unexpectedly and gun Doc down. Marty flees in the DeLorean, inadvertently activating time travel when he reaches 88 miles per hour which equates to 142 kilometres an hour here in Australia. Michael? I think this is, again, as an opening act, is very impressive. Um, it sets up everything we need to know. Like, we get a sense of the space, like the actual town of Hill Valley. Um, 
and like you know also the line of states where they are uh, we get an idea of how marty's character has been influenced by george and his parents um you know, particularly with like you know what if i get rejected like that and that kind of that comes up um yep. we get an idea of the you know that the clock tower like you know it's interesting um like you look at the film it, it's it gets mentioned a number of times we see like the zemeckis has been clever in placing it at at the right times um when it needs to be seen or referenced and like you know in various shots because um, it's an important part of the film um you know we see marty's goal of owning that four by four and his love for jennifer mm-hmm. um impressions of his family like uh you know we'll get to but i thought leah thompson's performance particularly in that sort of opening act was really good um you know and biff is the antagonist um you know he's, he's probably you know you think about the antagonist across films and he's just he's it's a good one like you know we we all identify with bullies and we know what they are and he's good at it we you know it's it's good at that um and yeah that sense of how his family is like you know there's love but they're unhappy in their lives and that delorean reveal mm-hmm. oh, how cool how is, good it? is that? it's just yeah up to just this that point, sort of... it's really this film it's just already a great example of i guess you would use it in your classes michael like it's just a good study of filmmaking and a good mm. there's no wasted shots or scenes it's all like there's reason for every single dialogue there's a re like they're showing he can ride a skateboard really well you know so it's just not later you know a surprise it's just something that's established early even though it's not important at that point because it is important later and um uh, what was the other thing i was going to say something else but yeah um <laughs> it's all it's, you're yeah, right it's so tight and and just so clever and really spot on yeah well, that's the thing. We and as part of the synopsis, I did miss it, but he does have that scene with Jennifer where he does, you know, confess that he feels like he's he fears that he's becoming his parents, and uh, yeah, he wants to be more, but he's not prepared to put himself out there. And we do get that point where they're trying to save the clock tower. Oh, this got hit on this night at this time, and like you said, uh, Michael and Glenn, it's so well written that everything up until now. Even and we mentioned I'll mention it later in the synopsis, but even the interaction that he has with Biff now is the exact same interaction that he has with Biff when Marty goes back to nineteen fifty five. And everything we get now establishes basically what is going to transpire for the rest of the movie and how yeah. But it sort doesn't of feel forced or anything either. It feels like it's it's just yeah. part of the story and it just flows and it doesn't feel like it's deliberately being dropped in for a reason. It just feels mm. it just feels like it's part you don't necessarily think, oh that's gonna come back later because it's just so smooth. It's just really well done. Yeah, it just flows. Yeah. Oh it that does whole I was opening sequence just flows. About to say the same thing. It just flows beautifully. Um, all right, so back. Arri- upon arriving in 1955, Marty discovers discovers uh, he has no plutonium to return. While exploring a burgeoning, burgeoning hill valley, Marty encounters his teenage father and discovers Biff was bullying George even then. Uh, we see George falling into the path of an oncoming car while spying on his, the teenage Lorraine changing clothes, and Marty is knocked unconscious while saving him. He wakes to find himself being tended to by Lorraine, his future mum, who becomes infatuated with him. Marty tracks down Doc Brown and after unsuccess- trying unsuccessfully for a while, finally convinces the younger Doc that he is the, from the future by explaining how the Doc had gotten the bruise and cut on his head. 
having fallen off the toilet, and it was then that he invented the flux capacitor. Uh, having no plutonium with him, Doc explains the only source available in 1955 capable of generating the 1.21 gigawatts of power required for time travel is from a lightning bolt. Marty shows Doc a fly from the future that documents an upcoming lightning strike at the town's courthouse. As Marty's siblings begin to fade from a photo he is carrying with him, Doc realises Marty's actions are altering the future and jeopardising his existence. Lorraine was supposed to tend to George instead of Marty after the car accident, so he has to get his parents to meet and fall in love. Early attempts to get his parents acquainted fail, and Lorraine's infatuation with Marty deepened, especially after Marty steps in on Biff trying to hit on Lorraine at school. Um, Marty also steps in when Biff is having a go at George in the soda shop and punches Biff, causing a great chase sequence where Marty invents the skateboard and Biff's car gets filled with manure. Lorraine asks Marty to the school dance, so Marty plots to feign inappropriate advances on her, allowing George to intervene and rescue her. But the plan goes awry when first, Lorraine's a lot more forward than Marty was aware of and also smoked, and secondly, Biff interrupts them uh, with Biff gang locking Marty in the trunk of the performing band's car. Michael? Um, is that not one of the most fun chase sequences in film? Like that, that skateboard around that sort of the town square. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. And you know we get to see the like Glenn said the that skateboard sort of like skills sort of shown off. Um, we you know we get to see sort of you know that sort of the tension and that small victory for um, you know Marnie McFly you know as Calvin Klein you know when sort of Biff Tannen's <laughs> car sort of you know lands in the the manure truck or lands underneath it. Um, it's just a great sequence, and you can see how it makes it harder for for himself in the fact that like you know. Look at this impressive thing he's just done. And Lorraine's just like, oh, my God, he is a dream. And she says that a number of times. It's like, bang, bang, bang. He's just a dream. <laughs> um, so, obviously, after Marty's been locked up, Biff forces himself onto Lorraine. And as George arrives, expecting to find Marty, uh, he instead finds it's Biff and he's assaulted by Biff. After Biff hurts Lorraine, an enraged George knocks him unconscious and escorts the grateful Lorraine to the dance. The band frees Marty from their car, but the lead guitarist has injured his hand in the process, and Marty takes his place performing while George and Lorraine share their first kiss, which was how they originally met. With his future no longer in jeopardy, Marty heads to the courthouse to meet Doc. Doc discovers a letter from Marty warning him about his future and destroys it worried about the consequences that that might have to the future. To save Doc, Marty recalibrates the DeLorean to return 10 minutes before he left the future. After some nice tension as Doc tries to reconnect the wires and everything, the lightning strikes sending Marty back to 1985, but the DeLorean breaks down, forcing Marty to run back to the mall after he sees the Libyan terrorists drive past him. He arrives as Doc is being shot, while Marty grieves at his side, Doc sits up unexpectedly, or expectedly, uh, revealing he pieced Marty's note back together and wore a bulletproof vest. He takes Marty home and departs to, not, to sorry, 2015 in the DeLorean. Marty wakes the next morning to discover his father is now confident and successful science fiction author. His mother is fit and happy and his siblings are successful and Biff is a servile valet in George's employ. Michael. Um, the, 
I mean, that whole sort of sequence is like the particularly the the dock. Um, you know, I watch it. I'm still going. Oh my god, come on! I know how it ends. I know how it's going to go. <laughs> um, and so, like, it's you know another testament to great filmmaking. Um, oh, I've forgotten what I was going to say. There was this really good thing that you were talking about. And I've got. Oh, I want to talk about that. It's that sequence and the oh the no oh the bulletproof vest. That's right. The um, I liked how that scene played out in the sense that um, he like Doc Brown doesn't talk like, you know, you're alive. How? And it's just, it's not, it's all show. Don't tell. Like, you know, Doc Brown doesn't say anything until after he talks about the letter. Like it's, you know, opens the vest. Here's the letter. Like it's, it's mm. interesting when you kind of go with filmmaking and it's like, it's, it's good filmmaking. Like we don't have to go, Oh, I'm wearing a bulletproof vest. We see it. We see the yeah. letter. Like, you know, that's, it's a nice sequence. Yep. And that's the thing. They don't need words at that point. Like he could see that he's mm. obviously, would be shocked because he's just been shot, obviously, despite the fact that he would have known that it was going to happen. But, yeah, just the way they shot it, again, it's just an outstanding uh, movie. Uh, as Marty reunites with Jennifer, Doc suddenly reappears in the DeLorean, insisting they return with him to the future to save their children from terrible fates. <laughs> End movie. Mm-hmm. <sighs> to be continued. To Desire. be continued. You know, that's um that was actually in the cinema. That was uh, added for the video release. Once they'd secured sequels. So. Well, they actually wrote um, number two and three at the same time and shot them mm. concurrently, basically straight yeah. after each other. So, um, although they were released separately, so. Well, it's how you make the money. Mm. You know, put them all out at the same time. Otherwise, people just get overkill. Take yeah. your time. That's what <laughs> Peter Jackson learnt. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, all right, we'll jump into it. Cast and characters. Glenn. All right. Um, obviously, a movie I've seen so many times, it's hard to pick out anyone that's better than someone else. But for me, Doc Brown is the standout. Um, it's just iconic. Like that role is iconic, and he'll always be remembered for that role. I think more than any other. Um, he just that character, so consistent. Um, yeah, one of not only his, not only the actor's most iconic role, but probably in the history of cinema, it's one of the iconic characters. Um, yeah, so probably out of actors and cast, he'd be right at the top. I'll just, um, one other thing that was great was I thought was Biff did a really good job just of being the bully. Um, and also the turnaround where he's like at the end, he's you know not at all the bully, and I thought he played it really well. And um, yeah, I liked both of them. Yep, Michael. Um, Glenn's right. Christopher Lloyd does do a, a sensational job. There, this I think it's also interesting. So this is probably like you look at a lot of his other roles; they are a bit interesting or B grade, or you know he's not shy at picking up anything. Um, in terms of like you know a role, but yeah, this is an iconic role and just awesome. And like you know, for me, kind of you know, really show like a, a really cool eccentric scientist. Um, one of that sort of stereotype things. Um, Leah Thompson's performance in the opening act really struck me, like particularly this viewing. Um, you know, whilst Lorraine is saying one thing, like you know, she loves George. You know, here's my history. You do get the sense that she wonders if another life would have been better. 
mm. there is that sort of like you know he says like you know we all make mistakes in life um then there's the like the the pause after like you know and you know and i i knew i'd be destined to you know be in love with this guy and there's this pause as like you know as george does this really awkward laugh and just the sadness in her eyes it's like oh you know that was great um well that's the thing because she's sorry she's actually looking for some sort of um response back Mm, she is yeah she actually wants to have some sort of response back but he gives her donuts and just mm. starts laughing at, laughing at an old TV show. Yeah. Uh, I think Michael J. Fox smashes Money We Fly. Like, you know, he just, he does it again at Embody the Role, one of his iconic roles. Um, and Glenn's right, Tom Wilson makes a sensational antagonist in Biff Tannen. The odd one out a little bit is Crispin Glover. Um, his performance is weird. I don't know if you guys would agree with that, which... Um, oh, 100%. I guess, yeah, it makes the character, like, because the kid is super out of his depth in life. Um and we, we do see that transformation out of an awkward George to accomplished George, like, you know, after the dance, like, particularly, like, you know, when they're saying goodbye, yeah, you know, he's kind of, he's cool, calm. Um, and we see it back in 1985, but for the rest of the thing, it's kind of weird, like, you know, he points weird, um, you know, but it's interesting and compelling, but, yeah, it's like, out of all of them, it's kind of like the one that's not as naturalistic as others. It's very eccentric. I mean, you know, and I guess that includes, you know, Christopher Lloyd's, like, given that's that's quite a doc too, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I, th- I, I actually thought he was really good in the movie simply because he was able to nail that really annoying loser character. He had those really annoying habits and mannerisms and everything else. And then we, so then when you see him right at the end... And it's so completely different. You do sort of get that payoff. Hundred um, percent agree. Christopher Lloyd in this movie is outstanding. Um, perfect for the role. His energy through that the whole movie is just infectious. Um, he does really does embody that eccentric scientist. Um, just the eyeballs, the looks that he gives, and everything else. Like it's yeah, I thought he was outstanding in the movie. Michael J. Fox. It's absolutely criminal that that he got cut down with the illness that he did. Like it's such a shame mm. because he was such an outstanding actor. Um, and even even in the roles that he's done recently, like he was in Designated Survivor, um, I thought he was quite good in that and enjoyed his. But it is different to see him now when you compare him to what he was. Like he was huge at this mm, stage of massive. his career. Like he was massive. He was on Family Ties, which was one of the bigger shows on American TV mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and during that, he did this. Now, they weren't going to release him. They didn't actually release him at the start. So they actually cast Eric Stoltz. And Robert Zemeckis mm-hmm. started shooting with Stoltz but just said, nah, this guy's not right. We've got to get Michael mm-hmm. J. Fox. So yeah, Fox they- would do – he would he would shoot um, Family Ties during the day and then shoot Back to the Future at night. Like he did a power at work and he was huge. Then he, the next mm. thing he does, Team Wolf, Secret of My Success, Bright Lights, Big City, which I don't think I ever saw, and then obviously moved into a bit more dramatic with Casualties of War and then back all of that up with Back to the Futures 2 and 3. So he's probably one of the biggest stars in the world at that stage. And mm. you can't help but love him. He's, his performance is excellent. He's just 
Um, and then he went on to a show which I really did enjoy him in, which was Spin City. But that mm. was, I think, at that stage he started to really decline. So yeah, uh, which was sad. and he worked he he worked all through the start of that sort of his illness there, like you know, and they actually kind of pushed back call times to really early. Like apparently it would be best early early in the morning, so they were starting at like four or five thirty in the morning, um, and working through the day. And you know, the cast sort of and the crew kind of backed him up on it, like you know, yeah, he's such a great person, a great actor. Let's kind of you know accommodate him. So um, when yeah, they um... amazing stuff. Like when they Andy first Brighton approached gonna... him to do Back to the Future, he was like, I think he wanted to, but he was like, I'm doing Teen Wolf and Family Ties. I can't fit it in. It's a timing's not right. And they went, ah, that really sucks. But they, yeah, and they went with Eric Stoltz. And they filmed for weeks with him. They just, they went with it. Six weeks. Six weeks. And um, yeah. they, they just, yeah, but he just didn't quite, I, don't, I think it was the comic uh, timing or just something there just wasn't quite right. And they just went back to Michael and, and they were like, they got him as long as they worked around family ties schedule. So he was working, you know, on tw- I don't know, eighteen hour days. He was working like family ties during the day, and then back to the future all night. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. From what I read, it was it was a combination of like dark broodiness, like he was too broody and too dark in the role, and um, he does he did actually rough up like um Biff. Tom Wilson. Mm. Yeah, like he would actually. You know, during that scene, he would push hard, and I think I think he allegedly might have kind of did damage to his collarbone or no, that was um, Scott, broke it or something that was like Scott that. To me, actually. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh Jesus! I guess it's taken six. It's taken sixteen points to bring that up, so that's good. Um, Four million dollars that cost that, like that sort of six weeks. You know that shoot, like you know, and wasting that sort of um, uh, that six weeks of footage. Um, well, and I think that, the only thing that lasts that's actually from Eric Stoltz is that opening sequence. I think that's his legs and, um, walking in. While we're speaking about well, Crispin Glover, you mentioned before that you thought he wasn't that great in this movie. Um, there is weird. I didn't think he was a great. I just thought it was I'll, a weird. I'll, I'll just mention this bit now, even though it's I guess it's trivia. I don't know, but so I'll throw it in um, before I forget. But with the sequel, when they got Back to the Future two. Um, ready to go they went back to all the cast and they're all like yes i'm in yes i'm in yes i'm in but he was the one who said yeah i'm in but you know this is my new pay rate this is what i want for the sequels and they were like um you know that's a bit much you know can you rethink about that everyone else is in everyone else is fine with the same deal can you have a think about that again he was like yep i'll think about it again and my reply is this is what I this is what I want, and they went fine, and they killed him off, not in the sequels. <laughs> so um, interesting. Well, they didn't they didn't kill him off. He's no, in his gravestone. Like he's there. Gravestone they use a body there. double. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, but he he appears when he goes to the future. Like, and that's the the guy hanging upside down is his dad. It was a body double kind of guy. Um, yeah, and so they actually there was a court case about that. And they had to settle. They eventually settled out of court for half a million dollars. Um, yeah, because yeah, they used like, their stock footage, and because he was in that stock footage, mm. he claimed. Yeah. But I don't know if what Crispin Glover's career was like after this. But from what I can recall on IMDb, it wasn't that prosperous. So I reckon he might have shot himself in the foot just quietly. Yeah. Let's see if we leap from him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with you guys. Thomas, uh, Thomas Wilson as Biff um, was yeah, he's he's a great foil to to Marty in these movies, and obviously that continues on with in, in the next two as well. Like I think he's yeah, uh, I thought he was outstanding as well. And Leah Thompson, she's just gorgeous um, and outstanding mm. as as all versions of the mum, both the at the start in her younger days and then at the end. I thought she was really good. Uh, Favourite scene? Michael, I'll throw to you first this time. Hmm. Um, both all good questions. Probably the one I didn't prepare for. Are the... Oh, look, that that climax. I mean, it's hard for climaxes not to be good favourite ones, but the you know that climax kind of, you know, like I said, that kept me on the edge of my seat today and I've watched it a hundred times. Like, come on, Doc. Like... Get down there, but I know he's going to get down there. Um, you know that's a that's a great scene. Of course, the um, the Johnny Be Good scene. You know that's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and a particular favourite is the um, Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan. I'm going to melt your brain. Um, it's just so funny, like that. You know, and that and, and it's kind of like a second turning point in that act because up until that moment. George McFly's going, nut, nah, get away from me, you're a widow. I, I don't go anywhere. No one on this planet is going to, you know, tell me, you know, to do anything. And Michael J. Fox, you know, Marty McFly's, you know, Michael J. Fox goes, you know what, I can do not on this planet. And we get some really nice science fiction references, which is, you know, there's a lot of parts of this film that kind of like do reference like that classic sort of sci-fi sort of thing, you know, the the Peabody farm with the, the comics, um, you know, again, Jordan McFly and, um, yeah. So, you know, they're my favorites. Oh, Glenn? yeah. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I wrote here that the whole school dance sequence, the whole, um, Biff and, um, and the car when he's with his mum, everything with Marty and his mum in the fifties, basically, I, I thought that was great. Um, but I also have that, that's my favorite, I guess, sequence. But I have a favorite line in this movie as well, which how all through the movie, Doc Brown is like, No, you can't do this because it will, you know, change the space time continuum. You can't tell me anything about the future. You can't do this. You can't do that. And then when he reveals at the end that he's saved the letter and he will bulletproof death, and Marty says, What about the space time continuum? And Doc says, I just thought, What the hell? <laughs> It just—it's—it <laughs> was just well, so just out of character, but so funny. <laughs> I, um, it's such a change, and just makes me laugh. Like it's just crazy. Um, yeah, and I think what's sorry, let me interrupt that that bit with Lorraine as well um, with Leah Thompson, like. At the start of the film, she's going, I was never like that. I didn't park. I wasn't promiscuous. I didn't do that. And and their whole kind of thing is like, you know, there's a boy in my room. I want this boy in my room. Oh, yeah, I pass several times. You know, I smoke. Yeah. I drink. I do this all the time. It's like, you know, and she chases boys. She says to her daughter, I never chase boys. You totally did. And, yeah. <laughs> I did actually enjoy more. that part. Hmm. It, was, it was a nice contradiction. Uh, sorry, more favourite bits, but... Any, any film with time travel where they come back and they watch themselves from earlier in the film from a distance, like, I love that stuff. So when he's watching from a distance, when he comes back 10 minutes early and sees the stuff going on that we've already seen in that, we've been in that action already and then we see it from a different angle. I love that sort of stuff. 
Same with the third Harry Potter mm-hmm. movie, and um, just whenever whenever that happens, I love that. Sometimes it's very clever when that happens. So you just go, yep. "That is well done." Um, for me, it's probably the the opening and the, and the way Marty gets to school. Like we've, like you explained it beautifully at the start, but just the simpleness of that opening in terms of it gives us so much information without forcing it on us. Like there's little tidbits, and like I said, like I've watched this movie truckloads, twenty, thirty. I don't know. No, I've watched this so much. I probably couldn't tell you how many times I've watched it. I watched it twice just to do this pod. Um, and, I, and I pick up different things each time, but it's just the simpleness in this introduction to this character. Um, and like you mentioned before, the the chase scene when Marty bunches, punches, punches, Marty punches Biff in the soda stop, shop. Um, Marty invents the skateboard. We get that great chase around the square of Hill Valley leading to, to obviously Biff having his car filled with shit. So um, I just thought it was really well shot. It, great excitement that even still now, that action sequence and everything about it just still makes me smile and just makes me enjoy it. So um, that was two the, things. And the one thing that I forgot to say, sorry, I say a lot, but I think from the first, yeah. very first time I saw it, the ending was the thing that just made me go, wow. Like when he comes back, it's not, it's not over. It's not the end of the story. And he goes up, take, you know, we don't need roads, that whole bit. And then it's just like, oh, it's just that, that whole, that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's great. Well, it's a great well, finishing line. Well, that's the thing too. Like they could have just got him back to 1985, finished it there. And you would have been happy with the ending. But then we get this this additional payoff as well. And then obviously, as you said, Michael, they added to it later on. But then we get that introduction that takes us to the sequels. It's just, yeah, I thought it was excellent. Mm. Um, other notable aspects that we enjoyed throughout the movie? Glenn, <laughs> I, think I, I, think I just... You go to him first. Uh, uh, <laughs> maybe I should have saved all that. For, for, I forgot about the notable aspects. So um, I think I've done those. Uh, I'll, go, I'll just say Fine, one got where Huey Lewis plays the guy that tells the band that they're too loud. <laughs> That's that, I, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a really nice one. I'll go, Michael. Right. Uh, okay, just go to, we'll, we'll leave you to last. Um, look, we've already discussed this so far, but it's, it's a really well-written movie. Everything flows. It's smooth. Um, it just works. It's ability to tie the movie together and the constant callbacks to other parts of the movie are just exceptional. You know, the first meetings that we see between Biff and George in both 1985 and 1955, they're exactly the same or pretty much exactly the same. We, we get introduced to Mayor Goldie Wilson and we've got Marty saying, you know what, you could be mayor. And there's Marty Wilson who's you know, just a guy that's sweeping up in the soda shop, this, you know, this African-American guy goes, yeah, I could be me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to clean up this city. And this, you know, his, his boss is basically going, oh, mate, there's never going to be a, a black mayor. Give it up and just start cleaning here. It's just all of that is just outstanding, the callbacks and the way that they, it builds the movie throughout and, again, gives us all this information. We get told everything that we need to know and it's not really thrust at us. It's, it's just an easy, well-written movie. Um, the music's great. 
both from the 85 to the 1955, it's a really well scored movie um, and it sums, it, it sets it, the movie well in both re- respective eras. Um, I thought the special effects stood up pretty well. There's a couple of things where, you sort of, where he's, I think when he's playing the guitar and he's looking at his hand and his hand's like disappearing, that looked a little bit naff by today's standards. But when the DeLorean actually, yeah. I thought actually stood up pretty well. Um, the last thing I had was probably the gropiness of on Biff on Marty's mum was probably a bit average when you look at it, back at it now compared to what it would have been back in the 80s. But outside of that... It's a PG film, Scotty. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how it stands up into under today's world, but, um, yeah, other than that... I think it suggests awesome. enough. Like, it doesn't need to be any more than it was. You didn't need to see anything. Like, you, you got the idea, which is what it needed to be. All right, Michael. Lay it on us. Okay. So, like, I'm going to start with the camera i guess and like i think the way that the camera is used as movies are really awesome and like that's including composition and framing and blocking um dean cunley's cinematography um you know had great compositions and great camera movement like you know there's the crane above the delorean like we get to really explore the delorean as an audience when it like comes out before doc brown gets out um i really love the interplay between the camera and Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyds and their acting. Um, there were some times where the camera would just hold. It would just be in the frame. And what made it interesting dynamic was the way that uh, Michael J. Fox and Christopher had moved back and forth between it. Um, and it was really good. And partially it's possibly because, um, you know, Michael J. Fox is 5'4 and, Doc, you know, and Christopher Lloyd is 6'1. <laughs> so they might have had to kind of force perspective a little bit. Um but we really get to see it. We see it during the temporal experiment one when they first we first see Doc Brown. Um, you know when they've kind of the the um, irony has gone into the future and they're looking over the fire. We see, you know, them kind of in different spots. It was you know and it was really cool and it, and it's just holding on to a, a, like that shot and because they, they move in it changes the shot dynamic. Um, and we also see it in the high school where they move spaces and it kind of changes you know the close ups versus long shots. Um, Another good one um, was where we actually see, like, in the Peeping Tom scene, uh, we've got a long shot of, um, you know, Marnie McFly and and the dad, which is Sam Baines, played by George DeCenzo. And um, George pops up, like, he pops his, he pops up into a close-up, sort of a medium close-up, um, gets up and, you know, runs away. So And it's another shot that's just held. And you don't see a lot of that sort of like, you know, where filmmakers are going, we're just going to hold it and we're going to see the acting play out. Um, so don't see a lot of that anymore. And, yeah, so that was really nice to see. I thought, like, you know, that sort of um, decisions to make this sort of, the actors really kind of work in the blocking of, a like, you know, a, a frame was really cool. Um, so other things I thought was the presence of the clock. You know, which we've talked about, that really kind of, you know, that repetition kind of highlights that it plays an important part. Um, and you know that before Marty kind of hands out the the flyer to Doc Brown, saying, "Yes, this is a setup. We know." Like you know, we see the um, the lady. We see it in early shots. We see it when you know Marty just comes back. There's the clock. It rings, so it draws our attention to it a lot. That was really cool. Um, the DeLorean. I mean, the DeLorean, so cool. Um, deliberately selected for its general appearance and its gullwing doors. 
in order to make it plausible that people in 1955 were presumed as an alien spacecraft. Apparently, Ford said, hey, we'll pay you like $75,000 or something like that um, to use a Mustang. And they're just gone. Nah, we're using the DeLorean. Um, and interesting, the guy that created the DeLorean actually said thank you for immortalizing the car in film. Um, yeah, so I think, I think like you mentioned, the, the score by Alan Silvestri just works. Like it just it just plays like all the great moments and really heightens them. Like, you know, the I think of the climax where it's like, you know, damn, damn, damn. And in between that is like, you know, it's like he goes, damn, it's like, you know, and there's like a trill of notes you know, damn, another trill of notes, and then damn, damn, bigger trill. And it's, you know, like, it's really cool. It really highlights what's going on in the acting. Um, and I guess my, one of my final, well, a couple of last things. The uh, It's interesting, when Marty meets up with Doc before the lightning strike at 9.56, to the time it hits at 10 o'clock, the real movie time was nine and a half minutes, which is pretty good because sometimes other films, it's like, you know, there's like three minutes left till the bomb explodes and it takes 16 minutes to get to that sort of, that, that moment. Um, the sound design is Academy World Worthy. Um, yeah. And I guess the last one that I really like and, you know, is often forgotten is when we see the mall at the start, it's Twin Pines. There's Twin Pines Mall. Mm. And at the end, it's the Lone Pines Mall. Like, you know, there's that real effect on, you know, we see that effect on, like, you know, that Marty's journey has had on the past into the future. So, yeah, that's all my, all my notable aspects. And there's so many more about this film. But you want me to keep the pot under... You know, a certain <laughs> amount of time. So, no, mate, go. For, I love it all when you, I love it when you go all film, film, film nerd on us. It's great. Thank you. Questions, queries, tidbits, thoughts. Michael, you're on for you're in form. Continue. Well, I I don't have many questions about this film, but I guess the persistent one for me across the years has been the life preserver joke, which is obviously to do with the vest. But I never kind of thought I never got confused with that. Why was that a you know, is that something that's happened or was confused or in the life of it? I don't know. It kind of just it never really resonated with me properly. Like, I get it, but it's like, eh. It's a red puffy vest, which yeah. in 1955 would have looked odd, I guess. Maybe. And I guess that's the, the one little thing. It's like. Yeah, I've got a couple, mm. but I mean, I don't like to nitpick this movie because it's just perfect. But, I mean, if you want me to. No, no, <laughs> nitpick. Nip- Pick away, go for it. This okay. is what we hear. Well, for. just that first uh, time travel with the dog in the car, Einstein, the dog, and it's like they're remote controlling the car and they're standing right in front of it and it's going up to 88 miles an hour and the car is coming straight at them and it gets literally within metres of them and it's like, this is time travel. If this is going to work, what are the odds of this working? And the odds of it, if it doesn't work, they're in, they've got many broken bones. Like that car's coming straight at them and it literally disappears right in front of them and then they're left standing in their flame. Yeah. And it's just like they would have jumped out of the way. Like, come on. But I mean I hate I hate to say things to criticize yeah. this movie because it's brilliant, but it's and it's a great sequence, don't get me wrong. But Well Well I guess that's the drama, isn't it? Like, you know, you, Doc is so confident yeah. this is gonna work that he would, you know, one stake his life on it as well as Marty's. Um, but I guess if it fails, he'd rather be run over by his own DeLorean. <laughs> you know, that's why he could walk on <laughs> That's oh, not... Yeah. Probably didn't, the, probably didn't need to take out his teenage mate yeah. in the, the process. The follow-up, question that, the follow-up question was that is, if you do not have velocity, if you're not moving, are you doing 40 miles per hour? 
Like if your wheels are spinning, you're not going anywhere. It's just that your wheels are going really fast. So, like that was a, an interesting one. The other, um, the other, yeah, one was um, cool when though. he gets into the past and he lands in that barn, and um, it's dark, and it's night time, and then he first uh, the next morning or whenever, oh, whenever it was, he drives out. It's still dark, and he turns out the driveway, and then it's daytime. And it's just like that sun came up real quick. Like he's literally just driving around a corner and it's daytime. But anyway, these are just things. Um, I think it's summer. But have you got some questions, Scott? Because I've got a couple more things, but they're not, they're more quest- generic questions, not about the movie specifically. Um, yeah, I've got a couple then. I'll go and I'll throw back to you. Um, would Marty not be permanently <laughs> deafened from the uh, explosion at the start of the movie? Considering the size of that speaker, mm. not permanently. Yeah, no. I mean, I guess it's like you know, it's quite brief. Yeah, possibly. Wouldn't have done his hearing any good. Um, no. Would a 1985 video camcorder really have the ability to plug to be plugged into a 1955? TV? There's an extended sequence of that scene that was cut. Considering yeah, the, the, com- the, com- the component. Well, the, the components just- to it. I don't know. With the components of a 1955 TV, which probably wouldn't have even had a video camcorder yep. or video player at that stage, have the – I mean, I know Doc's a scientist, but would that have – There's a deleted scene. Been able there's to a be deleted done. scene where you see him ask him, do you have this you know, connector? And he's like, what are you talking about? And then he's just playing with the TV. Transformer. Yeah, and he's playing with the TV for like a good few minutes while there's another scene oi, going on. Oi. And um, so you kind of – in the deleted scene, at least they do make that into a, you know, this isn't that easy, but they cut that out. So, it, yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's, um, it's interesting you say that because I think there is like, you know, some of those old camera quarters might have an antenna um, adjustment, like a, like a plug. So it's it's plausible. Oh, yeah, plug into the I antenna. Don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, like you know, it's yep. like you know the, the Mega Drive plugs into a TV, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, eighties camcorder might have had an, like a, an aerial plug. So, yeah, um, po- yeah, possibly that may that may explain it. Um, a lot needs to go right for their plan to send Marty back to nine eighty five to mm-hmm. actually work. I mean, you've got to get that car to hit at the exact perfect mm, time. Sec- well, the same second. Mm. Like. Well, yeah. pretty much. And I guess You've pretty much got to hit it bang on. So we trust the science, you know. We trust that Dr. Emmett Brown is a capable scientist and he's done the calculations and he can, this is the time you need to do it. You know, yeah. he's worked out it's, the acceleration of the car and the, how long it's going to take the lightning to get there, even though the effect is a little bit slow. Um, even yeah. though Marty does take up take off a little bit later because of the, the car not work, the dollar in. Um, not working, which I will. I must admit, I don't know if it's a problem with the DeLorean, but it does seem to break down a lot. But anyway, it, um, I think it is a problem with the DeLorean. Like I, I think I glanced at a fact that said that, like you know, there were, the DeLorean did have problems. So it's kind of yeah. maybe what's well, a little bit so it's true funny to form. And, yeah. Would Doc survive the ele- <laughs> the electrocution that he copped when he put the plugs together just at the right time for the lightning strike to go through? I should be able to gloves on. <laughs> he didn't, but anyway, um, he's wearing gloves. There's definitely gloves. I, how many kids in 1985 and possibly years on do 
do you think were injured hitchhiking, hitchhiking rides on the back of cards on their skateboards? Is that a rhetorical question? Do you have like facts and figures for that? I, I don't actually have facts and figures. I'm just curious because you watch it and you think to yourself, I, and I remember watching this when I was a kid and I reckon it would have gone through my mind. I wasn't no, a very I good skateboarder. So. I had a go. <laughs> I don't think it was very fast. I was just, yeah. Um, Don't need to Google it. How does Marty ever look at his parents the same way again Mm -hmm. after his experiences in 1955 to 1985? I mean, his dad's a peeping Tom and his mum's a little bit more randy than he ever expected. Yeah. And and how do they not recognise him? Well, um, that's actually been shot down. Yeah, that has been. Yeah, it's actually been talked about by one of the directors or... Robert Zemeckis does talk about it, that do you really remember someone that you spent three or four days with 30-odd mm. years ago? Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. Last question before I throw back to you, Glenn. If Marty is such a nice name that we hear his mum say to George at the Under the Sea dance <laughs> as he's leaving, why didn't they name their older son Marty and not their – why did they older name their third child, not their first? Because mm. there's other names. Mm. Anyway, Glenn, back to you. Um, that were just a couple of things that were going yeah. through my mind. Not a criticism of the movie. I was, unless Michael has something to jump in with there, but um, I was just going to, because this section is also questions and whatnot, I have, a, I have a question. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but who would you cast in a remake? It wouldn't surprise Ooh. me if they did it one day. Well, I'll, I want to, before you get to there, um, it has been gone on record that Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis have the rights to it, and Bob Gale has said uh, they will not, there'll be, while they're alive, there'll be no reboots. Good, good. Mm. Well, maybe we can skip that question, but it is interesting to think about. <laughs> no, it's, it, is, it is an interesting question. Who would you do, how old would the character have to be? 1920? Mm. Now? Maybe a Spider Man. Maybe what's his name? Yeah, he did Spider Man. Tom Holland. Yeah, yeah, he's Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Yeah, he'd be probably good, although not does confident he, enough. He, maybe. Yeah, does he have the and he, does he have the comedic oh, yeah. timing? Yeah, to be able to pull might. it off. Yeah, look, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty specialized role in that sense. Not specialized, but you know, you've got to be able to do the action sequences plus. He, he's timing he, with the comedy. He'd have the action sequences down, Patton. Um, you know his comedy's pretty good. Um, I just I think it'd be almost too like not confident enough. Like I mean, it'd be he's not cocky enough. Does that make sense? <clears throat> but is but not. I don't know. Not Tom Holland. Yeah, and I don't know who could do a who, who could do Doc Brown. Know. You just get the same actor. <laughs> yeah, just Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, just just, just roll him back. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he changed you, too much. And that's and that's the thing. Like you know, Christopher Lloyd. You said it earlier. Like he's iconic in the role. Like you know. There are other things you can't, you know, other actors don't do. Um, and that's not necessarily they can't. You know, we've seen, you know, for Star Trek fans, um, I don't know, none of you is like, you know, Lynn and Nimoy, you know, embodied Spock um, for decades. Um, and now they've got a new Spock character in A Strange New Worlds and, you know, Star Trek Discovery. Um, and uh, Ethan Peck, I think his name, he's doing a stellar job. 
um, and a lot of audience praise. So you can see there are actors that will take on that role and, and do God good jobs. But I mean, who would who's going to play Doc Brown apart from you know Christopher <laughs> Lloyd? I don't know. If it was a few years ago, you could probably get a Samuel L, not Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Morgan Freeman. Oh, yeah. Could possibly do it, but I don't know. I don't think he has a science credit. Except for the, he's, no, you know, fair. certainly he'd narrate. You can narrate your life, but he can't change it, travel through time. Just for the younger scenes in the fifties would be hard. True. But yeah. True. Mm. Um, well, that's that's the thing, like, yeah. My other question ones? was um, other top time travel movies off the top of your head. It's like my favourite type of movie. I can I can start. I actually did some. I actually did some research first. <laughs> nice. Because so you did you did throw you did throw this up in the uh, messenger group. So obviously this, I think this and this and two and three are just outstanding. Um, for me, Terminator and Terminator Two. I haven't actually seen many of the others, but both of those. There's a Denzel Washington movie called Deja Vu, which is actually really good. Mm, I wouldn't mind right. getting there one day. That was a good movie. Uh, and probably Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm, <laughs> classic. Well, for me, it'd be um, About Time. When? Great movie. Um, and Midnight in Paris, another great movie. Frequency. Although it's not time travel, it's more time communication where they speak um, through time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Kate and Leopold, Hugh Jackman, romance comedy. I think it's Hugh Jackman and Meg Ryan. Yeah, there's a bunch. But um, I'll, I'll, I won't go. Oh, and Interstellar. Mm. Yes. Good one, Glenn. That's I, one of my faves. I, I haven't seen any of oh, those well, movies, Glenn, including we'll Interstellar, which I do want to watch but I haven't yeah. committed to the three hours that it goes for yet it's a great three hours and I did have uh, Bill and Ted on my list um, yeah uh, I haven't put any time on my list but like there's some classics like Interstellar um, oh geez Paycheck Paycheck with Ben Affleck like that's a that's an interesting one that's a time manipulation one um, I think Lost in Space was a good one Oh, you know, the Time Machine with Guy Pearce was interesting. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that one. Um, Tenet was an interesting journey in time, uh, although not really time travel. Um, ooh, yeah, Deja Vu was good. The Lake uh, House. I mean, Superman the movie, you know, he turns back time. Any Star Trek with time travel, that's always a classic. Um <laughs> Bill and Ted, yeah, Predestination. There's an interesting, uh, unique film that involves time travel. It's got um, Ethan Hawke. It's a Spearig Brothers film. I think they're from Australia. Um, they're very cool. Um, I don't know. This just it's just hard. It's like a it's like my favorite genre. And I could, I don't really pin down like you know which one's the best. Any time travel is good time travel, mostly. Yeah. Some are dumb. There are some dumb travel. Sorry, I take that back. <laughs> All right, now we'll throw over Excellent. to you, Michael, uh, for a bit right, of well, trivia. We've touched on some of the biggest trivia already with like the fact that Eric Stoltz was fired um, for being too dark and brooding. Uh, also roughed up Tom Wilson. Um, 
so yeah, so you know, and they obviously, you know, the rest is history. They went back to, you know, their first choice with Michael J. Fox. Um, Glenn touched on Huey Lewis was the one who kind of says, "You're too darn loud." Um, the Biff's catchphrases "Make like a tree and get out of here" and "Butthead" were improvised by Tom Wilson. That kind of wasn't written the script, but you know, iconic. That's like some big lines there. Um. Doc's distinctive hunched overlook developed when the filmmakers realised the extreme difference in height between Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox, which you don't can't pick in the film. But yeah, um, five foot four and six foot one, respectively. And yeah, to compensate for the height differences, they use specific blocking where the two often stood far apart at different camera depths. For close-ups, Lloyd would have to hunch over to appear in the frame with Fox. Um, and the same approach is used in the sequels. Interestingly, for such a well-done film. The script was rejected for over 40 times before it got the green light. So maybe lots of drafts in there. Uh, Ronald Reagan loved this film so much, he quoted the final line of the film in the 1986 State of the Union Address. Um, apparently got a real kick out of being mentioned in the, uh, in the scene. Um, Eddie Van Halen recorded a few licks of music for the movie as they didn't have permission to use Van Halen, the band's music. And this red on the park bench is apparently Mayor Red Thomas from 1955. So apparently the the same person. So yeah, um, that's my trivia. Uh, you guys took half. I've of the got good some stuff, extra, so. well, extra trivia bits as well, which um, uh, good. sort of in addition to Michael's, like, yeah, it was rejected 40 times and a lot of the comments they got were comedies need to be more raunchy these days, um, which is one of the reasons it was being knocked back um, yeah, this is the days of like Animal, I think Animal House and Fast Times at Ridgemont High and things like that. Um, and yeah, and, and it wasn't until they showed Steven mm. Spielberg that there was some interest in the script. And Disney, Disney didn't want it either because they didn't like the implied incest in with the mother, mother and uh, mm. son in the car. Um, in early drafts of the script, the time machine wasn't always a DeLorean and there were, it was more of a time chamber. At one In one draft, it was actually a refrigerator that was a time machine. But then uh, eventually they thought about, hang on, maybe it should be mobile. And um, from there, they got the DeLorean <laughs> when they realized they wanted it to open up like that comic book cover with the UFO sort of door. And um, they, they wanted the DeLorean after that. And also the ending was originally going to be a nuclear bomb that uh gets them back to the future they like added a testing nuclear testing facility and they set off a bomb and drive like through it um that was um originally going to be the um where he got back but the cost was going to be just too way too much but they did storyboard it out and you can watch that on the dvd um extras um the the storyboarded storyboarded version of that uh, and the idea um, came from Bob Gale having the idea of um, he was looking through his dad's yearbooks at his dad's high school and his dad was the class president and he was thinking about how, oh gosh, the class president of my school was like, I had nothing to do with him. I didn't like that guy. I wonder if I would have liked my dad if we went to school together. And that's where the idea began, like just thinking about him, him and his father and if they get along, if they're at school at the same time, which was interesting. I love the idea. It's, uh, and it it went into a turned into a great movie so um yeah great great how little little thoughts like that can turn into such a great movie 
Uh, and I've got one piece of trivia that you, the manufacturers of the DeLorean actually created um, a fitting to your DeLorean so you could make it look like the one from Back to the Future. That would be cool. Would be cool. I would have to have DeLorean first, of course. <laughs> Whatever happened to the DeLorean? Um, they still appear now and then. I actually, oh, they're making a new one. There's a new one coming out. Like a new... 21st century one I'm very excited for it not that I'm ever going to own it but it's going to be cool is it electric? <laughs> I have no idea um, I know my other time travel movie that I really like what's Groundhog that? Day that's uh, nice that's a yep that was on my list too but uh, my list was too long because then I'd have <laughs> you add Palm Springs as well then if you got time <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I said he did that. <laughs> yes, well played. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, it's time for our final thoughts and rating. Obviously, rating is out of 10, so 10 being a great movie, 1 being a terrible movie, and 5 somewhere, obviously, in between. Uh, Glenn, I'll throw to you first. Um, uh, what more can I say other than iconic movie and one of my favourites? Um, and I feel stupid giving 10s all the time, but... I mean, we keep doing my top five movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have nothing left, but it's a 10 for me again. Um, I'm sure I'll get a lower score next week unless we do Back to the Future 2. Um, yeah, 10. Michael? Look, it is a, it's a ripper film, and I think, like, you know, just all the stuff we've talked about, and I, and I think about viewing of it today, and I thought, wow, this is a ripper film. Um... Is it as good as the Ghostbusters? Yes, it is. <laughs> ten, yeah, it's ten, or is it nine and a half or ten? I'm going to ten. It's got to be ten. It's got to be six and a half. That would be three. <laughs> Scott hates this film. That's slightly better than, than the. Mar- <laughs> as he hates, as he hates all eighties <laughs> films. Oh yeah, and yeah, no, hate an eighties movie. Um, all right, so this is a perfect movie for mine. Unlike you two, who just throw tens around willy nilly and just basically ten whores, um, <laughs> I reserve my ten just for purely great movies. And this is it. It's got everything. It's got great humour running throughout it. Uh, the acting's excellent. The story is ridiculously well written, well set out. It's easy to follow, um, and it's semi believable. Like. Mm. I actually, don't get me wrong, I don't know if it actually can happen, but for some reason I always have to say it probably can't happen, but I'm not 100% sure. No, you can um, own a DeLorean. Absolutely. Well, I could. <laughs> uh, it's got that great mix of humour, action, warmth. It's an easy movie to watch. It's under two hours, which I love. This is a 10. Oh. So, gentlemen, now my math doesn't have to be great to work this one out. This is a 30. Mm-hmm. This is the first perfect movie, and maybe the only perfect movie we have. Um, well, I mean, the fact that Ghostbusters didn't get there it really surprises me, Scott. It's going to be a sore point for the rest of the podcast. Well, we haven't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we haven't done Titanic yet, so glad little, you're not going to hold on to that forever. <laughs> um, so this does take the number one spot off the Martian, which has mm. held on for since what pod number three, I do believe. Yeah. So it's it's done well. It can be proud of its effort, The Martian, hold at, at 26 and a half. It is still our number two rated movie. Um, and still and, and great film. I love The Martian. Like, it is just so full of heart and, you know, and I guess that's what Back to the Future kind of has too. It's got that heart, which is going to 
good. So and I think um, yeah, maybe I have to watch. Maybe I have to watch that again. I was. I think I might have been harsh on that. But <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll have to watch it again. Yeah, mm, I think so. Um, I think going forward from here, we'll have to be more thinking, looking at the second place and the third place and what moves around because nothing's gonna. I don't think it's gonna get here. What happens if we get another thirty? Do we have to go to a tiebreaker? That'll be interesting. No, no, no. We, no, no, no. We can have equal we can firsts. Have, yeah, and happily. It just mm. means that we don't have anyone else on the podium, really. And <laughs> we ha- don't discount another thirty. We haven't done Die Hard yet, so it's all good. Um, <laughs> obviously, so yeah. So Back to the Future, perfect movie, gets thirty out of thirty. Number one, The Martian, 26.5, is sitting on the number two spot with Ghostbusters rounding out the top three, where the Millers in four and seven in five with the score of 22. Looking forward to when Glenn, seven. socials? Looking forward to when seven is seven. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cinematic Leap on Facebook and Twitter, Cinematic Leap. One word on Twitter, but yeah, should be able to find it just by searching it. And it's now time for our cinematic loop. So there's no pressure on this one. There's no pressure on this one, really. I mean, we've just done Back to the Future, which racked up a perfect thirty, which is a great, a great thing. One because it was a fantastic movie, and two, I get to sit this out, so I don't have to worry about picking either the looper or the movie. That mm. we go to next. Or writing up the synopsis. <laughs> Correct, which is always a good thing. Now, Michael, you get to choose our leaper this week. I for do. Glenn. Um, tough act to follow, not going to lie. Um, there's the, one... Then Alan Silvestri. <laughs> there's one well, from this movie. You're right, actually. You've only got to choose the... Uh, pick a better leaper. Uh, Glenn, you've got all the pressure on you to choose a better movie. Um, and Glenn has got some of the most eclectic leapers out there. Let's kind of know that too. Like, remember how we got to Ghostbusters? It was a stretch, but I love that stretch. <laughs> the, probably the greatest stretch in pod history. We've somehow picked a bloke that, I don't even know, did he even get screen time? Yeah, he was in yep, jail. He got, he got like about 20 seconds I, I heard in the jail. He, I heard his voice, but that's about yeah. it. So, Ghostbusters, um, the mayor wants to see you. That's his line. <laughs> It's a little bit shorter than the guy that says the wall on the 53rd precinct of bleeding. How do you explain that? Um, there, Michael, look, there is one obvious person that you could choose here, but I'm not going to try and dissuade you. I'm going to leave it up to you. Is that Crispin Glover? Uh, is that you trying to tell me to take? No. No? no there's, there's, there's a guy who, and I know Glenn will be anti him in this case because... He's a producer, but there's a guy with initials SS that's done a couple of decent movies in his career, which has spanned about 50 years, and he's one of the greatest directors of all time. But anyway. SS? Just Steven Spielberg. I don't pick producers because they're not... Oh, I was gonna, he's, not even, he's, not in the, he's not even in the producer's list. It's interesting, actually. He's maybe the executive producer, I suppose. No, he's in the producer's list. He's, he's on my list. Oh, yeah, there he is. But it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, so look, he's he's done a couple of movies over the journey that yeah that, I think have, that have done all right. Um, I'm scared where Glenn could take this, but Robert Zemeckis. Oh, I wasn't even, was even thinking that guy. Jeez. But look, I look, I don't even want to just I don't want to try and influence it. So I'll leave it up to you. Look, I think. Oh man, now I'm now I'm torn. Um, he pick producers. It doesn't because no, like. He, he, 
yeah, something. It's, you're right. You know, it's not quite the same. Um, just, he could get us our second perfect movie. This goes to too many different movies. Is that with it? Yes, the choice is too hard. How can you choose from a Steven Spielberg film? I mean, he's got such rippers like Transformers: The Ride. Adventures give me tinted. half a chance. That's all I want. <laughs> give me half a chance at Steven Spielberg. Um, he, I mean, he's yeah. Pro- look, you know, I kind of. Yeah. Okay, Glenn. Uh, he's produced 131 films. Um, he's only directed 57. So if you look at it, pretty pretty handy 57. If you go through it, Michael, just by yeah. You, oh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, look, I'd, I'd, you know, as much as Steven Spielberg is a respected filmmaker, um, and interesting as an auteur in the sense that, like, he's, he's prolific and he's got a lot of art and he brings it to him. It's his skill as an artist to not put a lot of footprints on his film, which is really impressive as a, a director. Um, but yeah, I'm not going with that guy. It's, uh, look, I can tell you now it's going to be between, uh, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, you know? Mm-hmm. Both sort of, you know, actors that I've always kind of loved, you know, since a long time ago. Um, probably since Back to the Future. Um, and you know what? I, there's a chance that I could get to a like a film that I really like. It's an interesting, and I'm going to go with Michael J. Fox. Oh. Mm. What, mm. What's he in? Oh, Team <laughs> Wolf, yeah. Yeah. I think there's one from our youth Glen that you'll like. Teen Wolf. From our from our Arnott Street days. Mm. Ooh. Directed by Peter Jackson. The making of Back to the Future. A bigger one. That was that was not it. <laughs> um, wow, there's not a lot here. You just want me to go to the sequel. I mean that that is definitely an option. I mean there's also <laughs> the Frighteners. Uh, great film. Steven Spielberg opened up a lot more movies, just saying. <laughs> Look, you're not wrong. We will get to Steven. We will. But it's too, too much of a good thing to not explore more, more of Michael J. Fox's work. <sighs> All right, Glenn. Oh, uh, you know, it's just too difficult. Like, is Teen Wolf bad? Uh, I can't remember it. Um... I guess I have to say Back to the Future 2 then because I can't see any others that I want to watch. Are we doing a sequel again? I mean, two in a row? I think so. Wowzers. Yeah. Well, there's the Frighteners, just saying. I don't think I've ever seen that. All right, Glenn. Mm. Haven't you? We need you. Oh, my God. I thought you'd had. We need your answer, Glenn. What are we doing? What are we leaping to? Hang on, what's the Frighteners? Oh, let's do the Frighteners then if Michael likes it and I've never seen it. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wow, shit. I wasn't, was not expecting that at all. Mm. Usually Glenn's quite solid about these things. Oh, I've yeah. got no idea. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like trying to go to a movie uh, that we haven't seen um that we all get to have a taste, or except for obviously Michael's seen it, probably hasn't seen it, hopefully hasn't seen it for a while, that we all get it to dip our toe into and see what it's like. Because, I mean, that worked out so well with, with Jesse James. So... <laughs> <laughs> what about the A-team, though? You guys hadn't seen the A-team. No, the A-team, the A-team, did, you, the A-team did you go well. So yeah. that's it for this week. That was fun. 
that was genuinely fun. I really enjoyed doing Back to the Future. It was great to watch it again. I actually watched mm. it twice. Uh, enjoyed it thoroughly both times. Uh, good choice, Michael, with Michael J. Fox. Glenn, I'm looking forward to the Frighteners. It should be fun. No idea. Gentlemen, till next time, <laughs> the Frighteners on... And like that, he's gone. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Cinematic Leap.